Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, in honor of April 1st, we'll take the opportunity to look at the lighter side of fantasy, and we'll help you to serve this offering at your DCC RPG table. I'm Jen Brinkman, with me tonight are the ever-awesome David Beatty. Hello, everybody. And the also-awesome... I guess. Bob Brinkman? The megalomaniac with a microphone. (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) So our selection for this show is Another Fine Myth by Robert Asprin. No, this is not a piece of Appendix N literature, but while the internet is filled with all sorts of ridiculous pranks today, we thought we'd look at a bit of humor. Well, Skeeve, a magician's apprentice and wannabe thief from the Dimension Claw, tries to learn the basics of magic from Master Magician Garkin for several months, but to uh, no avail. Ski can do a little more than float a feather or light a candle using magic. Wanting to convince Skeeve that being a thief is not as good as being a magician, Garkin summons a demon. During the summoning, an assassin barges into the hut, and Garkin and the assassin kill each other. Skeeve is left alone with the demon, and to Skeeve's surprise, the demon politely introduces himself as Oz. Oz explains that demon is slang for dimension traveler. He further explains that there are thousands of dimensions with different races in them, and that he is from the dimension of perv, making Oz a pervect, while Skeev is a clod. Oz is a master magician like Garkin, but loses his magical powers during the summoning ritual due to a practical joke played on him by Garkin, and becomes stranded in claw. Oz volunteers to take Skeev on as his apprentice and teach him magic. The pair then embark on a series of misadventures as they try to evade more assassins trailing Skeev. Nicely well done. Yes. So, overall take? I really like this series. I always have, especially the earlier books in the series that are just written by Robert Asprin. They're lighthearted, they're fun, there's some good humor to them, and frankly, they're what most RPG table sessions end up being anyway. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit more PC than most of our tables, really. (laughs) There is that. I really like the fact that the story has a tendency to take fantasy tropes and turn them in on themselves. Demons being dimensional travelers. Devils are deviles from the dimension of Deva. And it plays on some of the bits and pieces and names that get taken for granted. The variety of the setting kind of goes from traditional European medieval to the bazaar at Deva and all the wonders there, and it hints at so many other things. Your great wordplay, Oz, no relation. So <laughs> it gets it gets kind of silly at times, but even with the humor, it fits into the standard fantasy world. So it kind of brings out the highlights. If something like 
Lankmar is the dark, seedy, gritty underbelly of a fantasy world. This is the the dry brush highlights. Oh, well put. Dry brush yeah. highlights. Yeah, getting wow. all artsy on us. Uh, I definitely dug it. I thought it was it was an easy read. It was lighthearted. To me, if I had a kid, I think this would be something that I would read to them to kind of introduce them to fantasy. I think they would enjoy that. But uh, just the overall approach to different things like demons and the devils and the imps, you know, I think we're all used to the uh, standard fare of those types. So it was kind of cool to see uh, how they were kind of given a, a facelift, per se. And I actually liked Oz, who was one of the main characters of the story. I believe he was a, a demon, if I'm not mistaken, right, Bob? Uh, he is. Well, they're all they're all demons, but he's a he's a pervect as opposed to a pervert. Yes, which was made clear. <laughs> uh, it was mentioned very much through the book, but uh, I thought he was a really memorable character. And uh, like you said, Bob, I think the humor was clever. And uh, there was a lot of mention of things that kind of, uh, for someone who was looking for some uh, brain food to expand their campaigns, I think there was a lot of stuff that was kind of dropped but wasn't fully fleshed out. Technology from different dimensions, dimensional travel, all that stuff I thought was pretty clever. What about you, Jen? As a disclaimer, um, I once again read the <laughs> audio version. The first person point of view came across to me a, a bit like Dresden, but I didn't feel exhausted afterward. <laughs> I, I love some of the descriptions. Like, pragmatism is described as situational ethics, and <laughs> phrases like, merchants are worse than murderers. <laughs> uh, yeah, overall, it wasn't as jokey as I had expected for, you know, an April Fool's show, but it did feel a little bit more never-ending story to me than, say, Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Skeeve had essentially been a shut-in led to him questioning Oz about every little thing, even just little turns of phrases like, bite the bullet. He's like, wait, what's a bullet? And things like that actually turned out to prove helpful for the reader as you know we're exploring this new world of theirs um when listening i actually continued as far as the fourth book in the series and uh gleep the juvenile dragon that he acquires throughout his tale in this book is probably one of my new favorite fantasy characters <laughs> Oh, ah. <laughs> Gleep is Gleep is awesome, and really, especially the with the voice and the audio. I mean, it 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 works. But the entire way the story is set up is, as you mentioned, you know, it's told in the first person. But you've got Skeev constantly asking questions. As a nerd and a geek and a Doctor Who fan, that's the way Doctor Who is set up. You've got the Doctor and you've got the companion, just so that things can be explained. And this is sort of the fantasy version of that. Kind of reminded me of Foghorn, Leghorn, and a little chicken hawk. <laughs> I say, son, I say, we're going to go to the Bazaar at Diva. Yeah. Uh, crap. Yeah, the, exactly that. <laughs> but yeah, as far as, you know, first-person wizard, that's where I drew the corollary to Dresden, but the tale was much more fantastical, so I did appreciate that. That's true. It kind of reminded me of the uh, some of the Xanth novels that I oh, read yeah. when I was a kid. Oh, uh, yeah. Very much, yeah. Although, to be fair, I enjoy this series a lot more than I enjoy Xanth. Xanth is a great one-trick pony, but I find that it gets old very fast. Yeah, Xanth would go, like, 20 pages just for the sake of a single pun. Uh, <laughs> I love Piers Anthony, but... <laughs> 
So how about some statting? What would you say, Bob? Any things that you came up with? You could easily stat any of the characters as NPCs. Garkin, Skeev, Oz, all of those could easily be statted. The various races, imps, devils, trolls and trollops, could all be statted up or created as character races, you know, Pervex, Devils. Did you say trolls and trollops? Am I sliding into book two already? <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, 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 I love it for a little foreshadowing, perhaps, um, that trollops might just be the female versions of trolls. Which was awesome. <laughs> And then, you know, item-wise, there's things like the D-Hopper, Garkin's Cauldron. That starts, oh! You know, yeah, I Cauldron thought that was cool. a lot of fun, and boy, wouldn't that be great to stat up as a magical item for yes. use in ritual magic. The ring that shoots fire. There's all sorts of interesting items in there. And maybe a non-magical patron write-up for Oz. You know, what oh, happens if you have a patron great. who can't perform magic yeah you got a smart ass <laughs> demon that's gonna come help you out yeah yeah do you really need stats for that that's more like an npc <laughs> stat at that point uh some of the things that i thought were pretty cool early on uh when skeeve was talking he was talking about some lizard bird that he was wanting to get a taste of that garkin was feasting on i was trying to get him to light a candle but he also made mention of spider bears and cat snakes which kind of got me thinking <laughs> it. it would be kind of cool to have like some charts or tables where you could um, actually kind of match things up and mutate them a little bit. Uh, take your two favorite animals and turn them into a nice DCC beastie. Oh, oh no, that that's a great use of a little throwaway line like that. Yeah. yeah. Although spider bears, God, is that nightmare fuel. <laughs> Someone please draw me a spider bear. Yeah. The uh, magic items, I think the cauldron that you already mentioned about, for some reason I thought that would be an awesome familiar, like some kind of oh. mashup familiar. You know, instead of a, a living thing, you've got this little cauldron that follows you around like a puppy, as it was mentioned in the book. Oh, I, I really like that. that. That's yeah. a great idea. Uh, classes, I think everything you mentioned could be uh, done as an NPC race. We've kind of push the limits on some of our fanzines, so why not do some of the races uh, with the imps or the devils or some of the other uh, races for racial write-ups? I thought that would be kind of cool as well. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Uh, could even get into specifics like the imp assassin. Ooh, yeah. You know, like your demon hunters. You already mentioned the lizard bird. Go ahead, stat up that quote-unquote magic sword. Give it poor balance and fake jewels uh, <laughs> the unlucky weapon <laughs> yeah the magician inventors because uh -oh. oz is explaining that inventors are just closet magicians i really like some of the wordplay on that could stat up the dragon charms little charm that allows you to control your dragon but it only works on unattached dragons once a dragon is attached to somebody else, you have absolutely no luck in controlling it. On that note, you could stat up Gleep or Buttercup, the unicorn. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't think he got enough play. I think there's already a lot of corollaries in the book, like looking for auras would be the equivalent of detect magic. Dimension hopping is planar step. There's the charm that bestows true seeing, things like that. Yeah, very true. Awesome. But means a couple less things to have to look up. <laughs> I'm seriously trying to remember if 
the Myth Adventures setting has ever been done for something like GURPS or something like that, because I find it hard to believe that it wouldn't have been tapped and used for a role-playing game. How about some props or audio suggestions? Should yeah, I start well, with this what, are you, what are you going to bring to your table, David? Uh, I got a big zero on audio for this one. I don't know why, but it was just most of the stories that, or the books that we've covered so far, there's some darker moments, there's some big battles. and There were some battles in this, but it, there wasn't anything that seemed to me like it was, a, I don't know, a huge climactic thing where you would hear music in your mind. So it was hard for me to really peg anything down, so... I know that uh, Skeev and Oz spent a good bit of time when they could drinking, so or at least Oz did. So <laughs> uh, maybe some tavern music would be good for that. And when they made their trip to Diva, I believe is that where the dimensional market was. Yes. Yeah, there could definitely be room for some exotic music. So you could go that route. But as far as music, I really had a hard time with this one. For props, I come up with a few things. Do you guys remember? I th- I don't think you were at North Texas, but there was a prop that Mark Bruner used to run one of his (laughs) adventures, which was so cool. I think he made it out of a paper towel tube, and it was something that kind of mimicked this dimensional, uh, the D-hopper that was in the book. So you can make something that doesn't have to be like that, but anything that could be... Oh, uh, yeah, he brought that to uh, Gen Con when we did the 0 to 10th level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So you guys get in. That was an awesome adventure. Mark's yeah. awesome. So that's the first thing that popped in my head when I, when they mentioned the D-Hopper. I was like, wait a minute, Mark Bruner, I wonder if he's read this story. <laughs> um, so you could do that and actually have the players twist and turn it and make for different symbols and actually make encounters to match up depending on where they went um, to simulate a dimensional hop. But uh, there's also a, uh, a stone or a charm, I believe, that was uh, used at some point that would allow you to look through it to see through magical guys. So if someone was um, using a spell to change their appearance, you could look through the gym and see truly who they were. So I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to have a uh, kind of a decent-sized gym to where the player looked through it and you could hold up a a portrait of a a character as they appeared to be. But then when you look through the gym, maybe you show them a different picture, which would, you know, kind of give a little bit Uh... of a ooh and ah. Yeah, so that's what I came up with. How about you guys? I, I really did like the magic sword. I thought that would be easy. Get some crappy steel, glue some <laughs> fake stones on the hilt. <laughs> and we've got to do lizard bird legs, because it's all about food here. Or or you could put some combination of the pungent foods. Say, mix Indian curry with some chimichurri, and then some cumin, and then add some allspice or something with a whole bunch of cinnamon and nutmeg to get something just absolutely disgusting and keep it <laughs> brewing on a little hot plate near the table for the Peruvian food aromas. Might, you, might get you thrown out of a con, but it would be a lot of fun. Says the man who wants to bring rotting steaks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the Dark Master sanctioned that one. Yeah, he did. You explain we, that to the guys at North Texas. <laughs> we have a note from Joseph Goodman. It says it's cool. <laughs> yeah, um... Please don't fly with it, Dave. Uh, For the music, I'm thinking have fun with it. You could follow good old-fashioned medieval dulcimer planks to you with Europop. Something akin to the soundtrack (laughs) of A Knight's Tale, you know? I like it. I like it. it. It's going to be a little bit of everything anyway. 
Well, and music-wise, kind of building on that, especially for, for Deva, if you wanted to keep things so that they might seem strange, but altogether you could have traditional music or traditional orchestral music and then throw in some symphonic metal. <laughs> because it would still be in the same... It'd, it'd be the same sort of instrumentation, but it'd be very strange and different. And to me, that is the sort of weird music vibe you'd get there yeah um also i think to kind of capture the bewildered skeeve in a universe that he doesn't understand in the least some of the music from uh, gallivant might really work it's oh, it's light it's silly it tells you what's going on something akin to that could also work really well in setting a tone for a game too funny now, prop-wise, I have to agree with, with David that for a prop, a D-hopper is kind of a must. Yeah. I was thinking you could take a narrow PVC rod, and there's something far more complex than a Rubik's Cube. It's the 12-sided IQ Pentagon puzzle. Oh, good lord. And it's really cool because <laughs> it's, it's a pentagon and it's got the star in the middle and there's all these little pieces, but there's still that central little pentagonal piece that you could attach the rod to. And then you could just draw symbols all over and you could manipulate the D-hopper by turning that the device. That's awesome. I like that. And it would also explain why using a D-hopper is so complicated. And, <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. That would really complicate things if you were going to like make some sort of chart that says okay this is the dimension this would lead to yeah oh and you've got to get it into this particular layout to get to here or you've got to get these three things next to each other or on this face you could make operating it as as complicated or simple really as you want to but it would certainly be a really cool looking prop when i was when i was looking at the puzzles when I was thinking about uh, how to put this thing together, when I came across the 12-sided Pentagon, I was like, oh, this is it. This is perfect. It looks like something out of a wizard's lair to begin with, just multicolored. Put it on a stick and make it an item. Put it on a stick. And at that point, some of the uh, symbols that you put on it could actually correlate with some of the adventures, like the sigils used in Purple Planet. Oh, certainly. It kind of blends right over into what I was thinking for DCC Inspirations and Reskins, because the uh-huh. Purple Planet would be a great setting for a serious use of some of the concepts of the story. It'd be a world that dimension travel to it would fit very well. You could take these concepts, because Purple Planet sort of leaves it up in the air, how you get there, how you get back. And if you wanted a more serious take... That would certainly you know, give give your players a D-hopper and drop them onto the Purple Planet. And all of a sudden, it's not really a joke anymore, but it would fit nicely. And then you can't use the D-hopper again until you procure more of those little green shards. Yeah, the D-hopper nice. needs to be powered, or you're afraid to use it again because you don't know where you'll end up. And you could end up in the heart of a sun. <laughs> That's true. If, if it is re-keyed as it becomes in this book. Yeah, it could be very, very dangerous to use. As a matter of fact, the party might have the D-hopper in their possession as sort of a fail-safe. If we're about to die, we use this. We're not sure where we're going to go. It's dangerous, but possible death is better than certain death. Yeah. I also thought that an adventure based on this story, which wouldn't be difficult to put together, could easily take place alongside a lot of the simpler set adventures. 
you know, Sailors on the Starless Sea, Portal Under the Stars, the funnel adventures where you're starting coming from a village. You're not coming from an exotic location. You're coming from, you know, you're a dirt farmer. Uh, you grow sod. <laughs> you carve potatoes into weapons. I mean, these are the things that <laughs> your level characters are doing. And so something like this, you know, Skeev could be the guy that didn't go on the funnel adventure instead. Rather than learning via experience, he's been sitting around trying to learn wizardry as an apprentice, and that hasn't worked very well. You could also reskin something like the jeweler who dealt in Stardust into an investigation of the home of the great magician Garkin after oh, his geez. disappearance or untimely death. So if you could you oh, could really man. take a lot of concepts and fit them to this world or vice versa if that's what you want to do. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. How about you, Dave? Reading this really kind of took me back to the 998th Wizards Conclave by uh, Joe Pittman. There's so Good many, choice. there's just so many elements of the book, like the marketplace on Diva. You know, of course, the, the meat of the story is about wizards, so to speak, trying to do each other in. There's uh, the city in uh, Conclave, which I think would just be I think it really fits some of the places that uh, were described in the book, and it would be very easy, I think, to use this as a backdrop for uh, adventures kind of along the same line as you know what they're doing in the book. It's also a, a city where a lot of different personalities and races kind of coexist. You know, they kind of oh, have yeah. to. Um, if you misbehave in the city, you get cubed and put in your little cube prison for a while. So that would give uh, reason enough for you to be able to deal with uh, the devils and demons and such. So I, I really thought that would be a good fit for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm right there with you on that one. That particular adventure was featured on episode eight. So it would seem amiss to make it our feature tie-in adventure to this one we'll call it a runner-up yeah <laughs> i don't know that i need to go in and find all these little corollaries although i have because straight up it says side effects of putting too much energy into magic happen often and tell me that isn't spellburn yeah I, I mean put your all into it spellburn or a phlogiston disturbance <laughs> yeah you know, again, going into the inventors, our closet magicians, Emerald Enchanter, anyone? For the D-Hoppers, there are actually devices used within some of the modules out there that allow you to travel from dimension to dimension. Most significantly in the Well of Souls and the Treasure Vaults of Zadabad, both of those being third-party publishing from Stormlord. And there's a piece in Dragora's Dungeon as well. Uh, that was one that Harley Stroh wrote for oh geez, I want to say that was uh, reskin, a, wasn't a, it? a different edition of a different <laughs> game system and uh, it has been uh, reskinned for DCC, which is exactly what we're talking about. Maybe 3.5 I'm thinking that was. Yeah, there was a number in so. there. Yeah. The quote that villains won't appear the same way to two people really struck me and I'm finding similarities in a number of adventures at this point. Uh, the Imperishable Sorceress, I believe they were the makers or the builders. They appeared a little differently to everybody. Oh, yeah, I remember that adventure now. Uh-huh. That's where, that's where Wilbur got his first wife. <laughs> oh, good lord. Hey, at least anyone who uh, has read the exploits knows I'm not making this crap up anymore. Um, <laughs> intrigue at the Court of Chaos struck me on that line. 
because the same one won't necessarily appear as the villain. Same with the 998th Wizard's Conclave, and Glipcario's Gambit really struck me on that one. Mm, okay, Because yeah. there are different faces, and that one's really hard to talk about without giving stuff away, but uh, that's another Bitman goodie. I don't know if I mentioned, but Dragora's Dungeon also has something very similar to a dragon charm. Like, what is used by the owner of the dragons before Gleep starts chewing on Skeev's sweater. <laughs> the Disguise spell is really prevalent throughout this book and throughout the series. It's one of Skeev's most noted spells, I would say. That kind of goes back to Glipcario's Gambit, as well as Fate's Fell Hand, because the clothing of certain NPCs changes to reflect the cards that are dealt each day. So I, I really liked the way that kind of flowed in. Another one about the 998th Conclave are the quotes that many smugglers are magicians and magic is commissioned by those in power. I'll just let you guys kind of take what you will from those. Oz also mentions that different magicians use the same powers in different ways. Again, very DCC all around, and I could even see a few tidbits in this first story especially that uh, could fit into Dark Trails a little bit, Mr. Beatty. What is this Dark Trails you mentioned? <laughs> well, and different magicians using the same powers in different ways, or just even one magician using the same spell in different ways. Not only is that very DCC, yeah. but I mean, come on. In this first book, Skeev has maybe three spells, three and a half spells, and... He's very level one, yeah. And he uses them to great effect. And varying effects. It's kind of nice to see that sort of creativity. And the fact that he can use them to varying effects as opposed to it's always the same thing, the same way, the same time. Yes, is very DCC. Well, that's something that I loved when I first started reading the spells in DCC. It's It's giving each wizard a different take on a spell. It's like, you know, ten wizards can be in a room and cast spells in different ways. It it, it really kind of adds so much depth to the old school days when you're casting a spell, everybody did it the same way. But with DCC, it, it's, it gives you some originality, and that's kind of what you guys are talking about with uh, the, the book we're covering. Oh, yeah. So what did we pick for our uh, featured adventure, guys? Our featured adventure for this show is going to be The Making of the Ghost Ring by Michael Curtis. Heard of that guy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell, in this module, the party is summoned by a wizard who's died before completing her life's task, and they are asked to act as her hands and quickly. They must procure an inscriber as well as a source of power focus for the ring and it must be tempered in an extremely rare substance. That's all I'm going to give for the brief overall, because it is such. A there's great, a lot of background to it, but yeah. it's oh. awesome. If anyone's seen it at the booth or on sale, it's got the great, almost rainbow palette. Yeah, I and love the cover. Full, double-sided cover. Yeah, it, it's, it's one gorgeous. of those you buy for the cover, and you don't even know what's in it. The adventure's great, but it, unlike our literature choice, this module is no joke. I believe it was the <laughs> first time that uh, that my legendary dwarf, Bjorn, had to be rolled over. Yes, this was actually <laughs> one of the first playtests that we did. And it way was back. so much fun, and it gives so much flavor to, you know, mag a magic item isn't just a magic item in DCC, which I really like. Really quick, the primary similarities 
that really drew us in was you do end up jumping from location to location, almost as if you're doing it by D-hopper. The ghost gives you a chime, and uh, out of respect to Mr. Curtis, I'm not going to pronounce that name right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the idea being that when you've completed this task, you can use the chime to return back to the hut and the ghost will send you to the next place yeah. or you can stay there and heal up but you have a finite amount of time to do all of this now there aren't any demon hunters listed in the random encounters that doesn't mean you can't include them yeah for point of reference your demon hunter should ride a, a unicorn because that's just the way it's done here <laughs> although the stink pools that you travel through could possibly be analogs to the bazaar and the perv food booths. Those really just kind of hit me. You can always make deals in each location. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's not always about combat. Uh, you can fast talk your way through things. You can do some wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Often doesn't go well, but it can. You're first approached by someone who's missing something. Yeah, you know, like the wizard who is now a ghost, which could be Gargan, perhaps. Yeah. Or it could be Oz, who just showed up and realized he doesn't have any powers. Yeah, this would yeah. be very easy to skin. Uh, to oh, yeah. Skin towards the, that storyline. And if, if you guys ever want to go up against one of the legendary DCC riders, there are stats for a Strodor in there. Strodor! Yeah, so, I'm not saying that that was... Strodor! Um, <laughs> Modeled after our own Harley, but sure does look like him if you look at the Kovacs picture. He's a badass, too. Sadly. Oh, we took him out fast. (laughs) You took him out fast because the judge kept rolling ones. I was going to say, it didn't sound right. I know. There might have been a tear. Yeah. Got mixed feelings on that one, David. (laughs) One of the things I loved about this adventure, um, especially in a con session, if you guys have ever ran an adventure at a con, you know at the end of the adventure when the uh, wizard goes to throw that spell out there, he's going to spell burn almost everything he's got to put into that one last spell to ruin your day. Um, oh, yeah. And Curtis really figured out a way to go <laughs> at the end of that adventure. So that's a good adventure in that at the end, there's a little surprise in there for those folks. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's brilliant. That that surprise is where Bjorn nearly bought it. Well, to be fair, I was busy pounding on things. Because <laughs> so, yeah. that's what dwarves do. That's exactly. But yes, that is that is very true. That little surprise, yeah, that was ugly. And then we get to the presumed end of the adventure, provided they make it past all the surprises, and the final ring that is created, in other words, in the title, it wraps around to the beginning of this story when they leave Gargan's ring on the table for the other assassins to find. So I thought yeah. that was kind of a nice yeah. full circle. That is really cool. I think the adventure and the story really complement each other nicely. And um, you really could put one in the other. Yeah. I yes. think, and I vice think, versa. So far, I think this is like, the, the it would be the easiest to use an adventure to kind of emulate the book. It's, this is really a good fit. Indeed. Very cool. Well, since we've covered that, and since all three of us made it to GaryCon, real quick, David, what was your DCC highlight from GaryCon? Ah... I would say, in all honesty, the gaming's always great. I've yet to play in a DCC game at GaryCon, or run one for that matter, that was just not top-notch with great players or uh, folks running the adventures being top-notch. So 
With me, it's just actually seeing everybody because it's like a extended family. You know, you, you see each other, there's a lot of hugs and a lot of catching up. So to me, it's just it's seeing everybody again. What about you, Jen? Seeing me, of course. Yeah. No, no. I, no, I'm I'm torn between actually getting to play Black Sun Deathcrawl after all the hype that you guys mm. were talking it up for and um, getting to play in this... I, I don't know, this play test that some dude was running called Dark Trails. It, it was really <laughs> awesome, but he refuses to take any credit for it. So, screw him. <laughs> and you, Bob? Well, I've got to say, I didn't get into a cool play test of Dark Trails. <laughs> I did get into an MCC play test, and it is always great to see everybody. Yeah. But I think flat out my highlight was Black Sun Deathcrawl. <laughs> oh, Oh my, the fact that I actually found a way with my character to achieve redemption in Black Sun Deathcrawl was astonishing. It was great storytelling. It was so dark. Yeah. Well, it was incredibly dark, but then midway through, I had that character transformation that was just kind of dumb luck based on an action that I took and the way it ended up. It was all a roll of the dice, and it ended up just brilliant. Had a great time that adventure. We had a great table of players, including some of our friends who had never been to a gaming con before came up from Naples to their first gaming con was Gary oh, Con. We got yeah. to game with them there. And uh, I think all of us will be watching each other much more closely <laughs> uh, in dark alleyways after that. But it was oh, just yeah. a great time. Right? Four and a half, five days of fun, three weeks of recovering from yeah. the con crud. <laughs> We need to stat that monster up. Oh, oh God. you know what? I'll, I'll stat it up. I'll stat that up for uh, for inclusion in this particular one. Uh, dibs on not doing art. Mm. Uh, maybe we could uh, cross-source that one and throw it over to Spellburn as a dungeon denizen. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do we have any road crew shout-outs coming up? All right, yeah, speaking of convention play, about the time this is going to be airing, we've got Dieter Zimmerman running some DCC over at HoosierCon in Indianapolis, and Reed Sanfilippo may be there as well, doing some crawling under a broken moon stuff, but I, I, I think he is. I think I remember him saying that. So. Well, if he's not, he's got to be there now. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like Reed, when, pack up that Castle Grayskull and get over there. When this is airing, come on. Uh, we've got John Pollock running at Cyphicon in Lake Charles, Louisiana, April 17th through 19th. Looks like we've got Bruce Cunnington and Lee Nielsen running some DCC for us at the ah. UK Games Expo in Birmingham, United Kingdom. That would be June 3rd through 5th. All the way across the pond. Uh, yeah. yeah. And simultaneously, starting on June 2nd, we've got North Texas RPG Con in Fort Worth, Texas. Numerous guests and judges. Who do we have there, Bob? Oh, uh, we've got such a long list here for me. Michael yeah. Curtis, Joe Bittman, Doug Kovacs, James McGeorge, Black Sun Death Girl, uh, Mark <laughs> Bruner, Jim Wampler, Edgar Johnson, Ryan Moore, Eric Hoffman, Jason Hobbs, and maybe the three of yeah. us. Yeah. It's like the DCC SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a pay-per-view event. I love it. If we pay extra, can we avoid the concred? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no excuses, guys. You've got plenty of time to uh, get your reservations for North Texas. Come see us. 
Yeah, yeah it, it sounds like it's going to be a great time. It'll be our first. I'm looking forward to it. And of their limited number of slots, they still had close to 100 left. They still had close to a third left, but last I looked at it. Oh, that's right, because they have a limited They number. have a cap. Yes, they do. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys have something else out there that you're running, drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media if you've got something you want us to pimp you out for, for lack of better phrasing. It's the Late Late Show. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bob, why don't you take us out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of talking. We would love to see what you create based on the works we cover. You can submit your creations to us, like Jen said, at thehub at sanctum.media, or you can find us on the regular social media sites, Facebook, Google+. We eschew LO. Don't look for us there. We're not there. <laughs> Keep an eye out for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. Remember, if we ever get around to doing a printed version of the compendium, we'd love to have additional material or additional art. Don't feel bad if three months from now you think, wow, I really would have loved to have submitted something for that. Submit it. We don't, yeah. We're not proud. We'll run it late. Oh, David. Yes. Can you please thank your lovely friend for the gift? Oh my goodness, yeah. yes. Oh yeah, Ken Campbell, uh, if you're listening, I gave the book that you created, and just for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Ken oh. Campbell is a regular mainstay at my table, one of our uh, wonderful players, but he has a hobby of bookmaking, so he made a book, and I think he printed the first eight or maybe nine fanzines from Sanctum Media and put it in the book, and it was just really awesome, so I had him... Uh, make one up for the Brinklands and uh, gave it to them at Gary. Oh, it was so awesome. And talk, talk about the ultimate collectibles. So apparently there already is a printed compendium. So if we ever do another <laughs> printed compendium. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can throw some pictures up on the site. So yes, yes, we'll have Yeah, to I don't think it up. has all the art. I think it's mostly the uh, the text from it. Yeah. So. But we'll have to get some pictures of, of the book up because it, it oh, was yeah. just a really nice surprise. As we were handing out little bits of, of Sanctum swag, David drops this on us. Wow. Yeah. So, whoa, you win, dude. <laughs> so I guess I guess that answers our question. You know, we always we always hope that we've inspired you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ken. Yes, thank you so much. It was just delightful. I'll give him a big wet kiss next time I see him for you guys. Thank oh, make you. sure you still got the con crud. That way he gets the full <laughs> Gary Con experience. Oh, awesome. God. Any any parting thoughts, David? Ah, no. I look forward to seeing you guys at North Texas, but I'm sure we'll be doing, I don't know, how many shows we've got before then? Maybe one, two? Yeah, one okay. show before and one, just like Gary Con, during. Awesome. So um, we will definitely look forward to seeing you guys and send us anything yet. Like, like Bob said, artwork, any kind of submissions you want. Get it to us. We'll try and put some use to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What about you, Jen? It's been a long night. I'm empty. All right. Well, okay. So there we are. <laughs> There we are from the from the think tank that is Sanctum Secorum <laughs> to you. This could explain a lot. I understand. Well, you know, it's an April first uh, episode, That's right. so we don't have to take things too terribly seriously. Maybe rather than the standard background sound, I'll just put in a fart track. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, thank you very much for listening, and uh, be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast.
Join us next time when we discuss Kothar, Barbarian Swordsman by Gardner F. Fox. The Sanctum Sacorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015.